Well, today, we're continuing our teaching series that's taking us all the way through Advent up to Christmas called Comfort and Joy. And today, we are focusing on the joy that only Jesus can bring, in particular, this time of year. Now, one of the things that that we do to, to help manifest and bring about that feeling of joy in our lives at this time of year is we watch some of our favorite movies and we sing some of our favorite songs. And so in order to help you cultivate as much joy as possible, I thought that I would put together a definitive list of the best Christmas movies and the best Christmas songs. It's the definitive list because it's my list (laughs) and I have the microphone. So here it goes. Here is the list of the top three Christmas movies of all time. Number three, a sleeper hit, Family Man. Who couldn't use a little bit of Nick Cage at Christmas? Family Man. If you've not seen it, stream it. It's excellent. You will not regret it. Number two, Christmas movie of all time, of course, is Home Alone. We all love Kevin McAllister this time of year. And the number one Christmas movie of all time, any guesses? No, you're all wrong. Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation. The number one Christmas movie of all time, according to me. Now, let's talk about music. Best Christmas songs of all time. Best Christmas songs of all time. In the third position is Run Run Rudolph by Chuck Berry, from whom all rock and roll flows. Run Run Rudolph. In the second position, the second best Christmas song of all time is The Christmas Song, as sung by Nat King Cole. I don't need any of this John Legend stuff in my house. (laughs) As sung by Nat King Cole. But the number one Christmas song of all time, and this is going to be a bit controversial, but it is the number one, the best Christmas song ever recorded is Blue Christmas by Elvis Presley. I knew knew some of you would have some strong opinions about that, but, but I came prepared. I've prepared a third list. This list is the top three reasons why your list is wrong. (laughs) Why your list of the top movies and music of the season is wrong. Number three, your movie is not the best Christmas movie because it originally aired on the Hallmark Channel. That's why your list (laughs) is wrong. Your favorite Christmas song can't be one of the best Christmas songs because it features either a chipmunk or Mariah Carey. It can't be (laughs) one of the best Christmas songs. And your choice is wrong for best movie because it's Die Hard. And Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. An excellent action movie? Yes. Christmas movie? No. This time of year, in order to stir up as much joy as possible, there are certain stories we love to watch and certain songs that we love to sing. And if you are here this time of year on a desperate search for joy, then man, you have come to the right place because do I have a promise for you? And the promise is this, that joy is promised to you at Christmas. No matter who you are, no matter what you've been through in the year that's gone by, no matter how sad you're feeling today, joy is yours at Christmas. It's promised to you. And what I want to do today is try and stir up more of that joy by going right to the source of true joy by looking at Jesus. Because what Christians believe is that Jesus is our joy. Joy is not an idea or an emotion. Joy is a person, Jesus Christ, who gives certain gifts to us. Now, in order to make the most of this conversation, I think we should define some of our terms. In particular, we should should have a definition of biblical joy. 
So, so my definition of biblical joy goes like this. Joy is a settled contentment and confidence. A settled, kind of deep and true contentment about today and confidence about tomorrow that comes from contemplating, resting in, focusing on the person of Jesus. Contentment, confidence that comes from Jesus. And so what we're going to do is look at two verses in the Gospel of Luke where the angels announce the birth of Jesus and look at all that Jesus brings and trust that as we look at who Jesus is for you and for me, it will help us to rekindle and remember the joy that we have. So let's dive in. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 11. The first thing we see is this, that Jesus has come for all. Jesus has come for all. Look again with me at verse 10. I bring you good news of great what? Of great joy that will be for all the people. A handful of years ago, my family and I, we went to Disney World. And my son was about, you know, five at the time. So he was, he was little. But we were walking through Disney's Animal Kingdom and he caught sight of Expedition Everest which is like the biggest, fastest coaster that they have in all of the Walt Disney parks. And he wanted to go on Expedition Everest. And so me, being the good parent that I am, I looked at him and I said, son, you can't go on that ride unless you're willing to walk on your tiptoes and go real fast past the entrance, which he was more than willing to do, and so he did. And so I was able to take my five-year-old son on Expedition Everest. And the, and the other adults on that ride were looking at me much the way that you are looking at me now. They were sending me a vibe that said, you're a bad parent, <laughs> which I will, I will receive. But, but in my own mind, what I was saying back to them was, I may be a bad parent, but I'm a great dad. <laughs> and sometimes you can't be both those things at the same time. In order to be a great dad, I got to take my kid on this ride, which makes me a bad parent. Forgive me, Lord. I tell you that to tell you this. Despite two millennia, two millennia of a message of mercy and grace for everybody and anybody, there are still people in this world who feel like they are disqualified for the Christian faith, who feel as though they are too short to ride the ride, so to speak that they don't meet whatever requirements we must have. They say, well, I didn't grow up in the Christian faith, and so, so, so it's not for me. It's for people who, who grew up in it and who know it already. Or, or they might say, you know, I, I've done some crazy things that the church tends to reject. I'm doing some things that the church doesn't really agree with, and so I probably can't be accepted at the church. Or there are, they, there are those who say, look, I've been living all my life as kind of an angry unbeliever, and so it would be really really foolish for me to come crawling to Jesus now. That would be kind of lame. I can't do that. There are lots of people, and maybe, maybe you know someone, or maybe you are that someone who says, look, for whatever reason, it's, it's just not for me. But the first thing you need to come to terms with is that Jesus has arrived, and in the announcement of his arrival, the angels make it clear, he has come for all. He has come for everybody and they make that clear not just in what they say, in saying that he's arrived for all, but in who they say it to. Who is this announced to? It's announced to shepherds. And if you're not up to speed on what, like, you know, the, the social stratus was in first century Palestine, you know, shepherds were at the bottom of whatever rungs existed. You know, they were, they were children. 
they, they were poor children in all likelihood, and they were doing a, a dirty job that didn't demand a whole lot of respect. They were at the bottom of the social ladder. And who do the angels announce this to? Jesus is born, and they immediately announce it to the least and the lowest, the less thans, and the forgotten. That, that's not accidental. That's on purpose, because the angels are trying to make it clear that this this Jesus who is born is for absolutely, utterly everybody. Even you and me, especially you and me. But there's more. Not only is this Jesus, has he arrived for all, but Jesus has come as a gift. Now you might say, well, Matt, that's the most obvious, cheesiest thing you can say this time of year. Jesus is my present. Aw, so sweet. But it is true and so easy to overlook. Look again at Luke chapter 2, verse 11 this time. The angels say, For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Those two words are easy to overlook. Unto you. It's not just that Jesus has been born, but Jesus has been born and given. Born and given to humanity. The implication of those two words is that Jesus Christ has arrived and been handed over to humanity. He's been handed over to the sinners. He's been handed over to the weak. He's been handed over to the undeserving. He is a gift given to us, placed not just in Mary's arms, but in the hands of the whole of humanity who needs him so badly. He's a gift given to us. Here's why that's important. You know, there are other faith traditions, other religions that say that God God's mercy, God's, God's grace even, God's power, God's presence is available to you. But it's presented not as a present, but as a prize. It's presented as a prize that gets won or a wage that is earned. If you believe the right things, if you do the right things, if you, if you perform at a certain moral level, if you, if you, if you want it bad enough, if you're earnest enough, then you get it. God and all of his goodness and greatness is given to you as a prize for your effort and your activity and your earnestness. But that's not what the angels tell us. They tell us that it is given unto us, no strings attached. It's a gift given, a gift, a present, not a prize. Stepping into a little rabbit trail and onto a small soapbox, I'll tell you this. This is one of the reasons why I, I struggle with how we tend to celebrate things like Elf on the Shelf and Santa. And we do those things. We believe, believe in those things in our house. But, but very often, and you know this, very often, you know, the Elf and Santa, we're told, are, are watching over the household, in particular the children, to make sure that they're what? To make sure that they're good. Because the implication is if they're not good, the Elf's going to go tell Santa and you're going to get less what? presence. You're going to get less good stuff because you haven't been good enough. And the reason, I, the reason I struggle with that is because it turns Christmas morning into payday rather than a grace day, which is what it's supposed to be. Because that's, that's the dynamic that's at work. On Christmas morning, if my kids are sitting with a pile of presents, as they will be, and they look at me and their mother and say, is this because we've been good? I'm going to say, <laughs> No. It's because I'm good and because your mom's good. Particularly, we're good to you. You don't get this because you deserve it. You get this because we love you anyway. Merry Christmas. That's how this works. We don't get Jesus because we deserve him or because we've proven that we really, really want him. 
We get Jesus because even though we don't deserve him, even though we've disregarded God and act as if he doesn't exist, God loves us so much that he gives us himself anyway. That's how it works. It's not a prize. It's not a wage. It's a present. It's a gift. And if it's not grace, it's not a gift. But there's more. Jesus has come for all. Jesus has come as a gift. But Jesus has also come as a promise fulfilled. Look again at verse 11. For unto you is born this day. All those two words are so important. In the city of David, a Savior. You know, some gifts that you get aren't really gifts. I mean, they are, but they aren't. Like gift cards or gift certificates. It's a present but it's, but it's not fully manifested yet. Like, you can't use it right then and there on Christmas morning. Like, you can, you know, a sweater or a PlayStation 5. You got you to go somewhere and redeem it somehow. So it's a gift, but it's also kind of not a gift. You can only really use it and enjoy it later. For years and years and years, God's people had been told that a gift was on its way. They'd been given a promise, which in and of itself was a gift, the promise of a Savior, but, but the Savior hadn't really arrived yet. And so they'd gone for for years and years with this gift that didn't really feel like a gift because it hadn't really fully been given. And then what happens on a cold night in Bethlehem, angels appear and they say, unto you is born when? This day. This day, right now. And what the angels are saying is the time of waiting for the promise and the present to be fulfilled is today. It's now. It's not a gift certificate. Like, it's, it's better than that. Jesus is not a gift card for grace redeemable later. His benefits and his goodness are felt now. From the moment he's born in Bethlehem through today into eternity, the great things that Jesus brings that have been long foretold, promised and prophesied, have arrived and are here for the shepherds and for Mary and Joseph and for the Israelites and for you and me and our children today and into eternity. They're here. They're now. They're here and now. Now, are there certain aspects of what Jesus brings that that aren't manifested yet? For sure. There are certain things that he's going to bring only when he returns. But but the bulk of it, and arguably the best of it, is here now. Do, do Do you want to know beyond the shadow of any doubt that you are loved by God? You have that now. Now. Do you want to experience mercy in the face of any stupid thing, any regrettable thing, any shame-inducing thing you've ever done? You have that now. Do you want peace in the middle of, of a world that leaves you anxious and overwhelmed? You have that now. Do you want... Do you want God's spirit to fill you and give you strength to do the hard things but the right things, to believe the big things that that are so often overshadowed by the dark things of this world? Do you need that spirit in you to strengthen you? You have that now. It is yours now because unto you is born not later, today, this day, and given to you, Jesus. He's a promise fulfilled. But wait, there's more. Not only is he for all, not only is he a gift, not only is he a promise fulfilled, but he is, he is the hero that you need. Look again, Luke 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ 
the Lord. Notice that the proclamation is not for a consultant. It doesn't say, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a consultant that you pay by the hour. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a life coach. For unto you is born this day in the city of David an online influencer whose morning routine will change your life. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a wellness expert, whatever that is. Now, what does it say? Unto you is born this day, not a helper, a hero, right? A hero is someone who does it all. A savior is someone who does everything necessary for your survival and your thriving. For unto you is born this day a savior. Look, there are certain problems you can't solve. There are certain evils you can't overcome. There are certain issues you can't address. There are certain things that if you try to take them on on your own, they will. They are guaranteed to defeat you. Your own struggle with sin, it will defeat you apart from Jesus. Your own own fears of death, they will overcome you apart from Jesus. There are certain things you cannot confront and you cannot defeat apart from the intervention from the outside that comes from God himself. And Jesus has come in and he's slain the dragons that you cannot slay and given the victory to you. He is the hero. He is the savior of your story. Now, the implication is, in order for you to experience and engage with the fullness of joy that Jesus brings, you need to be willing, especially this time of year, to admit your need for someone to save you from stuff. You need to be willing to confront and confess the fact that you don't have it all figured out, that you are lost on your own apart from that outside intervention. But when you're willing to confess that and admit that, you will then be met with the truth that Jesus has come to deal with that for you. He's a savior. He's the hero you need. And not only is he the hero you need, Jesus is your Lord and God in the flesh. Again, something we so easily overlook, especially if we've grown up in the church. Yes, Jesus is the fullness of God made flesh. But but look again at the announcement of the angels. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, the Messiah. That's what Christ means. The Lord. Lord is not a word that is thrown around lightly in the first century. Especially in this context, in a religious or spiritual context. The word Lord was synonymous with God. God in his fullness. So what are the angels saying? This Savior, this Messiah King, he is the fullness of God in flesh come for you. You know, in our day and age, um, the Karens of the world get a bad rap. And sometimes it's, you know, understood and deserved, but, but they get a bad rap for always wanting to talk to the manager, Right? But there are some problems that can only be solved by the person at the top of the food chain. There are, in fact, some issues that can only be addressed by the one who's truly in charge. Like, like how bad is our situation as humanity that God is looking down from heaven going, yeah, I'm going to have to do this one myself. Like, how bad is it for us? And yet he does. The fullness of God in flesh, in the person, through the work of Jesus Christ, comes to us. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes if someone of like a higher estate or esteem has to like come down to my level and help me or or save me, like I can feel bad. I can feel 
convicted. Like, man, this person had to set aside what they were doing. They've got bigger and more important fish to fry, and then they set all that aside to come help me. I can feel kind of bad, but, but the fact that God himself has come to earth to save you is not meant to, to make you feel bad. It's meant to make you feel special. It's meant to make you feel loved. It's meant to make you think, man, like, he came for me. It's meant to make you pause and utter those words. He came for me. When you take all those things together, the fact that Jesus is for everyone, the fact that he is a gift and not a prize that is won, that the fact that he's a promise fulfilled, the fact that he is the hero that you need, the fact that he is the fullness of God in flesh given to you, when you sit with that and you hold tight to that, when you, when you tuck that away in your heart and you try to rest in those truths, the, the end result is joy. The, the end result is, is a deep sense of contentment about today. A deep sense of contentment about today and, and confidence about tomorrow, like... I'm okay today and I'm probably going to be cool tomorrow because, because of who Jesus is. That's joy. And I'll tell you something that, that is bold and you may, you may struggle to believe it, but it's a promise straight from Jesus that when, when that joy takes root in you, it will never leave you. It can't be stolen from you. It can't be lost by you. Jesus himself makes that promise. John chapter 16, Jesus says this, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and when you see me again, your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Man, if there's ever a verse to underline, that might be it. No one will take your joy from you. Jesus is saying this, Once you, disciples, see me resurrected and glorified, and you see the fullness of who I am, and the lights go on, and you see everything that I have done for you and accomplished for you in this world, you're going to be filled with rejoicing, and no one is ever, ever going to be able to take that joy away from you. Now, you might say, but Matt, I don't... I'm a baptized follower of Jesus. I believe in him. I love him. I'm resting in him. But I don't feel my joy that you say that I have. And to that I say, I get it. I understand. You don't always feel the joy that you have. It's kind of like love. You can be in it, but not always overwhelmed by it emotionally. Just ask anyone in the room who's married. You can be in love, in love, but not necessarily on a particular Tuesday night feel love. But if you gauge whether or not you're in it by whether or not you feel it, you might be in love like once, twice, three times a month. Who knows? <laughs> like on a Tuesday night where the kids are screaming about homework and you burn your hand pulling dinner out of the oven and then your spouse screams in the other room, I think I broke the washing machine. Are you in love then? Oh, yes, you are. You're in it deep. <laughs> but, but are you feeling it then? No. Look, there may be a thousand different reasons why you don't feel joy, but you can still have it even if you don't feel it. You haven't lost it. You know what, what's probably happened, what happens to all of us from time to time, is the joy that you have in Jesus, it doesn't get lost, it gets buried. It gets buried under a thousand different things. It, get, it gets buried under the, the worries and fears of this world. It gets buried under, under misplaced priorities. It, it gets buried under the things that you thought were going to give you joy this time of year, like overcommitting at your kid's school or spending way too much money on presents. 
It gets buried under a whole host of different things. And your, your task, your opportunity and Advent is to say, look, I know I've got joy of Jesus in here somewhere, and I'm going I'm to unearth it by trying to push some of these things that cloud it aside and focus on the one song, the one story that can hand it back to me, that can help me rediscover it and rekindle it. You know, in that same section of John 16, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. I will not withhold anything from you. You know what he's saying is, ask the Father, to rekindle the joy of the salvation that he's given to you. God will answer that prayer. Show me again how loved I am. Show me again how powerful you are. Remind me of all the promises that are true for me. Resurrect my joy from all the things that it's buried under by this broken world and this busy life. Resurrect my joy. Unearth my joy, Lord. I know I have it. Uncover it. Pray that prayer. In fact, that's my prayer for you. That you would, if you're here and, and you don't yet consider yourself a Christian, that you would, you would receive and experience the joy that comes from knowing who Jesus is and all that he's done for you. Or if you, you're here and you're, you're a lifelong follower of Jesus, that, that the joy that you have in him would be unearthed and exposed. That you'd push away all the things that cloud it and bury it. And you'd be reminded of it. At this time of year, we surround ourselves with all kinds of stories and we sing all kinds of songs. And most of it is an attempt to stir up a sense of joy. That's what it is. My prayer for you is that when we sing the songs that really matter, like the first Noel or Joy to the World, that your heart would be opened in gratitude for the gifts that God has given to you and realize that it's given to you. And that throughout Advent and Christmas, as we open up the scriptures and we hear about a manger or shepherds or a star, that you would, you would hear it not just as the Christmas story, but as your story that is for you. And it's a gift. And it's about your hero who's arrived. And it's about a promise that's been fulfilled for you. And it's about God who has come for you. And that all of that might remind you of this deep, unshakable, unstealable contentment for today. It's going to be okay. And confidence about tomorrow. I am in his hands. That you might say not just joy to the world, but joy to my world. Amen.